We can go ahead and have a seat. Good morning. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. And for the past three weeks, we have been going through a series on the first 11 chapters of Genesis that we're calling Snake Crusher Wanted. And we've kind of been setting the the background, kind of been setting the the foundation. We are going to talk about the snake next week. Matt's going to be preaching about the snake. It's not just going to be a creepy graphic on the corner of the PowerPoint that kind of freaks everybody out. Um, But what we've said so far, we said that God is not the Dumbledore to your Harry Potter. Right? God's not just a older, smarter, more powerful version of you. God's not the Dumbledore to your Harry Potter. God is the J.K. Rowling to your Harry Potter. And if you don't like Harry Potter, then God is not the Gandalf to your Frodo. <laughs> God is the J.R.R. Tolkien to your Frodo. Okay, God is the He's the author of your life. He's the creator of your life. He's the designer of your life. He owns the copyright over your life. And what that means is that when we come to God, we don't just come to God and say, God, here are my plans. God, here's a lot of things I would like for you to do for me. That's not what we do. Instead, we come to God as our author, as our creator, as our designer, as the one who owns our life. And we say, God, here's my life. My life belongs to you. I trust you to do with me whatever is best. As we think about that, sometimes that's not actually that hard. Because as we're going to talk about in a few minutes, God gives us a lot of really cool stuff. God gives us a lot of really good things. And sometimes what God chooses for us is the same thing that we would plan for ourselves, or even better than the thing we would plan for ourselves, or what we would ask for ourselves. But what we're talking about today is the fact that there will be times in your life where God will allow you to be in a situation where you're going to have to choose. In a situation where you don't understand what God is doing, or maybe you don't like what God's doing, or maybe you don't understand what he's saying to do, or you don't like what he's saying to do, in those situations, you're going to have to make a choice. Are are you going to treat God like the person who's trying to accomplish the plans that you tell him to accomplish? Or are you going to treat him like the author, like the creator, like the owner of your life, and submit to him and do what he says, even when it's confusing or, or even when it's, when it's really hard. So we're talking today at Genesis, about Genesis chapter 2, so go ahead and turn there. And the, the key that we're talking about today is, as we look at the description of the Garden of Eden, in light of all of God's blessings, in light of all of the good things that he's done for us, that he's done for you, Are you going to continue to obey him and submit to him when what he's saying or what he's doing is confusing? Okay, so we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at, first of all, the blessing of Eden. Second of all, we're going to look at the test 
that is in the Garden of Eden. And then finally, we're going to look at how we can respond and prepare for these different types of tests, these moments where we're going to have to choose, am I going to do it God's way or am I going to do it my way? How can we prepare for and be faithful through those types of tests in our lives? Sound good? Okay, well, the Garden of Eden, which is described in Genesis chapter 2, the word Eden, it literally means delight or pleasure. It's the idea that this is a paradise, that God created you to be a human being that can feel, that has senses with these desires so that he can show you by giving you good things, by satisfying your desires, how incredibly good he is, okay? And so what I want to do, first we're looking at the blessing of the Garden of Eden. I want to show you a few things from this. We're going to go through this pretty quickly. Some of the blessings that God gives us that are listed here that are true not only back then, but, but are true for us today as well. So the first thing we're going to see is that what are the blessings that God gives us in the Garden of Eden and that he gives us today as well? Well, first of all, he gives us life. Look at what it says in 4 through 7 of Genesis chapter 2. It says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And what he's doing, he's zooming in. Chapter 1 talks about the cosmic picture of all of the universe, and now he's zooming in to focus on what God did when he created man and woman. Verse 5, it says, when no, when, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not yet caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and the mist was coming up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and then he, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Do you ever take a second to just recognize that none of us here asked to be alive? Not one of us said, God, I've got a good idea. You should give me consciousness. You should make me breathe. Have you ever taken a second just to... And just to realize that the fact that your heart's beating... The fact that you are conscious, the fact that you can have hopes and dreams and you can have different experiences in life, the fact that you have breath in your lungs, it's not random, it's not given. It's something that God has given to you. It's not something we should take for granted. It's a gift from God that we should be, every, every time we get up and we have a new day, we should be thankful to God that he's given us a new day. Well, that's the first thing we see, the, the blessing of life. Second of all, we see the blessing of food. Okay, in verses 8 and 9, it says, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and that is good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil. Have you ever taken a second to realize and to appreciate that God gave you taste buds? You know, God could have just made us 
have energy through photosynthesis or something kind of boring like that. But he gave you taste buds. And he didn't just give us one type of food. He gave us all different types of flavors. God would have been good if he just given us fruit. If there was just one type of, if apples was all we knew of fruit. Like apples are good, right? But he didn't just give us one type of fruit. He gave us countless different types of fruit. He didn't just give us one flavor. He gave us countless different types of of flavors. And he did that because he wants us to experience the pleasure of enjoying a good meal. The most functional thing that you do, the thing you probably do more than anything else, eating, is also one of the more enjoyable things, one of the most enjoyable things that we do when we have a good meal. Right? This is all because of God's goodness to us. We don't treat our cars like this. Right? Nobody's like filling up their gas tank and thinking, I'm going to get some cherry-flavored gasoline today. You know, I think my car would enjoy that. No. But, but God is the God who loves us enough not only to sustain us, but to sustain us in a way that, that's enjoyable, that's delightful, that's pleasurable. It talks about in this verse, in verse 9, the tree, the tree of life. We're going to see later in chapter 3, and then if you go to the book of Revelation, at the end of the Bible, the tree of life is this beautiful tree that's in the middle of the Garden of Eden. And the idea is if you eat from the tree of life, it's a constant source of life. Remember I said this last week, that God is the ultimate mechanical engineer. <laughs> he designs things that run forever. And the idea here is, it, as long as man and woman have the proper nutrition from the tree of life, which, I mean, it, it must have tasted awesome, as long as we have that sustenance, people can live forever. They're not immortal in and of themselves, but as long as they're continually eating from the tree of life, they're going to be able to live forever. And it also, the leaves of the tree of life in Revelation, it says, bring healing for all of our wounds. And this is the tree that's in the middle of of the Garden of Eden. Okay, that's the second blessing. The third blessing I want you to see, God gives us the blessing of beauty. Okay, look at verses... um, Uh, Look at verses 10 through 14. It says, And a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedalium and Ankhstone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush, And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the river Euphrates. Okay, so what's being described here is this beautiful, lush land that's full of these sparkling jewels, that's full of of fresh water. That's not only, like it says in... um, Earlier on in verse 9, it says that God, he, he made spring up every tree, not just that is good for food, but is what? But is pleasant to look at. That God gives us the sunset, he gives us the trees, he gives us the flowers. So we have this beautiful place. We can go take a walk on the tobacco trail and just appreciate God's goodness that he gives us to, to experience. The fourth, the fourth blessing I'll talk about, God gives us the blessing of work. Look at what it says in 15 through 17. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, 
but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that's kind of, we're going to touch on that in a second. But I want you to notice here, God gives us, us the blessing of work. And if, you, if that's confusing, if you don't know how in the world work could be a blessing, if work seems like a curse, go back and listen to the message from last week where we talked about the blessing that God gives us when he allows us to rule over creation with him. And not just as pastors and missionaries, but as graphic designers and as musicians and as mechanical engineers and as interior decorators and as homemakers and as scientists and in a, in a million different ways. God gives us the blessing of being able to have responsibility and do productive and fruitful things with our life. So, so work can be, work, work is a, a blessing. It's only in a sinful world that it becomes so painful. And finally, I want you to see, looking at verse 18 through the end of the chapter, God gives us the blessing of companionship. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make for him a helper who is fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper who was fit for him. It's kind of a funny picture of, you know, the tire coming up, the elephant coming up, the monkey coming up and be like, you know, not my wife, not my wife, not my wife, not my wife. Thank goodness. So he gets to name all these animals, but there was not a companion or a helper who was fit for him. In verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and he closed up its place with flesh. And the rib, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And Adam was excited. Verse 23, he says, then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Okay, so companionship was God's idea. Not only marriage, but friendship and fathers and children and mothers and children, all types of companionship is something that God created for us to enjoy. And what you see here at the very end in verse 25, where it says that they were naked and not ashamed, it's the idea that they, they looked around them, they had the breath of life in their lungs, they're able to, to eat delicious food every single day, they look around and it's just a, a, a beautiful a beautiful garden with beautiful trees and beautiful flowers and a beautiful sky and gorgeous animals running around. And not only that, they get to participate and have something to do. They're not bored, and they're not by themselves either. God gives them somebody to share all of this with, and they're able to just drink it all in. They're naked and they're not ashamed. They're able just to drink it all in. They're able to enjoy all of God's blessing with no hint of guilt or shame or fear or, or anything like that. Okay, 
That's the blessing of the Garden of Eden. And so it's important for us to take a second to think that, again, every single good thing that we have comes from God. And what we tend to do is to say, you know, things that go well in our life, we tend to take credit for them ourselves. But then when something goes poorly, when we get sick or when we have a meal that we don't like or when we don't have enough money or when there's friction in our marriage or when, we, or, or when there's difficulty in friendship, we tend to blame God for those things without realizing he's the one who invented and gave us those things to begin with. And so what we should do instead is to continually be thankful to God for all of the blessings that he's given us. Okay, that's the, the blessing of the Garden of Eden. The second thing we see, we see the test in the Garden of Eden, okay? And again, test is this idea of these points in your life where you come to a crossroads. Are you going to obey God in light of all the good things he's done, in light of God's resume? Are you going to trust him and continue to obey him even when it's confusing and even when it's really difficult, okay? And and that's where we're going to talk about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So look back with me um, at verses 16 and 17, The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is one of the more confusing and I think misunderstood concepts uh, in the Bible. So that's why we're going to be talking about it. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it. And then he said, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden. But, in verse 16, in verse 17, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, what's going on here? Is this just like the most egregious example of leaving your child next to a hot stove in the history of the universe? You know, not recognizing and preventing bad things from happening when there's a child in the room? Is this just the most egregious example of that? Why in the world would God put a tree All these good things. Why would he put a tree that's like, oh, by the way, if you eat this, it kind of ruins everything? Well, why would he do that? Okay? And and furthermore, why is it called the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Why isn't it just called, like, the sin tree? (laughs) Or why isn't it just, like, the bad tree? Like, don't eat this. It's the bad tree. Or or the Satan tree or, or something like that. And we read this and we think, does God want us to be stupid? God, does God not want us to have knowledge? Does God not want us to be able to tell the difference between good and evil? And, and the truth is, he, he totally does. He absolutely does want us to be able to tell the difference between good and evil. Because if you look at the book of Proverbs and really all throughout the Bible, over and over again we're told we're supposed to recognize what's good and recognize what's evil, and we're supposed to do what's good and, and avoid what's evil. So this is not saying that God wants us to be stupid, It's not saying God doesn't want us to have moral discernment either. What this is talking about is is this. Up to this point, God is the one who has the knowledge of good and evil in this story. God is the one who has the knowledge of good and evil. You go back to to chapter 1. God makes something. He he, He makes the light. And what does he say about the light? It's good. And God makes the, he God makes the sun, moon, and stars. He makes the, the plants. He makes the, the, the ocean. He makes the sky. And what does he say? He says it's, it's good, right? 
And then when you get to chapter 2, God's also the one that says when something is not good. God's the one that says it's not good for man to be alone. So up to this point in the story, God's the one with not the knowledge of, of good and evil. God is the one who is defining what is good and what is evil, what is right and, and what is wrong. And so the, the idea here is that by not eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the, the, the idea here is that what that means is that Adam and Eve would be continuing to trust God, saying, God, I'm going to, take, I'm going to accept your definition of good. I'm going to accept your definition of evil. If you say something's good, I accept that it's good. If you say something's bad or evil, then I accept that it's evil. And on the other hand, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is trying to have, is trying to define yourself, trying to define for yourself what is good and what is evil, not according to God's terms, but according to your terms. Does that make sense? Okay, so the, the idea here is that is man, is humanity going to continue to submit to God and allow him to define what's good and evil, or are we going to try to be God ourselves and start doing what is right in our own eyes, what we think is good, instead of what God says is good? So I told you before, there's, there's times in your life where it's really not that hard to follow God, because what he is telling you to do is the same thing that you want to do, but you get to these tests in your life, these moments where you're at a crossroads, where God is saying that something's good that you think is bad. Or God is saying something is evil that you think is good. And the question is, what are you going to do? Here's another way to say this. It, today, very often we say, we use the term my truth. Have you guys heard this phrase before? We say, my truth. You know, my truth is that I just need X, Y, and Z. My truth is that, you know, that, that this, is, this is right and this is wrong. Okay? And so th the question that we're looking at here, when we talk about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the, the question that Adam and Eve are faced with and that we're all faced with is, when your quote-unquote truth is in conflict with the truth, with what God says is the truth, which truth are you going to allow to define your reality? When God says this is good and you think it's bad, whose definition are you going to, to allow to define your reality? Okay, well, let me give you an example. So let's say you're in a marriage that's, that's really difficult. Okay, you're in a marriage that's just—it's just hard. It's just not enjoyable. And in that marriage, to you, your definition of good—what seems good in your eyes—is I need to find somebody new. I'm not happy. He's not happy. She's not happy. This is miserable. We don't need to keep doing this. Why would we just stay in this relationship and keep making ourselves miserable? Why would we fight for this? It's clearly not working. I should just go and find somebody that I'm more compatible with. Right? In that moment, maybe that's your, your quote-unquote truth. And, for, and for, for you, in that moment, maybe 
what seems good, your definition of good, is leaving your spouse and finding a new partner and starting over again. But God's definition of good is that you stay and you fight for it. And you do what Matt Rice says so often, that you, you don't just settle for the marriage that you have, you keep working on your marriage so it becomes the marriage that God wants you to have, right? And, and that's, where, that's where you come into this conflict. Are you going to, in, my mind, in, in your mind maybe, it's good to leave and, and give up, and it would be evil to continue staying in this relationship and keep making yourself miserable. But when God says, hey, I have something for you here. I want you to keep going. I want you to keep fighting. I want you to keep working. I want you to keep loving. This is ultimately what is good. And leaving and breaking the relationship is what's evil. In that moment, how you, which truth, which definition of good and evil you allow to define your reality and shape your decisions, that's the test for your heart. That's what reveals, are you treating God more like your Dumbledore or your Gandalf, or are you treating God like your J.K. Rowling or your J.R.R. Tolkien, right? Well, I want you to think about yourself for a while. What are some tests, what is an area in your life where you have been tested in the way that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a test for Adam and Eve. Maybe some of you right now are going through a test today. Maybe there's something in your life where what you think is good and what God says is good are completely different. And you're, again, you're at this crossroads. It's easy to obey when everything makes sense, but when it doesn't make sense, when it's confusing or painful, that's what really shows whether you're saying, God, here are my plans, make these happen for me, or whether you're saying, God, here is my life, you know best, you do in my life what you say is best. Sometimes the way this can sound, how do you know when you're in a test? Well, sometimes this, this can sound or this can feel like in your heart, you're thinking, I know the Bible says blank, but fill in the blank. I, I know that God says this is what's right, but man, maybe there's a way I can explain that away. Maybe I don't really have to do that. It's those times in your heart where, where you have that feeling I know this is what God is saying is good, but, right? Anybody, anybody there right now? Anybody experienced that in your life or experienced that recently? This is what God says is good. This is what God says is evil. But this is what I think is good, and this is what I think is evil. What's going to determine the choices that I make? Well, when we find ourselves in these tests... Here's the key. We're all going to be in these situations. Tests, or the New Testament often calls them trials. When we find ourselves in these situations, here's the key to being faithful to God, remaining faithful to God in the midst of those tests. The key is thankfulness. Thankfulness. 
Think about this for a minute. If Adam and Eve would have had any sense at all, okay, and again, spoiler alert, you guys know the story. Next week, they blow it, they eat from the tree, they don't trust God, they think they know better than God. If Adam and Eve would have had any sense, they would have said, God gave us life. God gave us food. God gave us companionship. Look at, look at all these wonderful things that God has given us. Does this seem like a God who's just trying to make us miserable? Does, does this seem like a God who's trying to hold out on us? Does this seem like a God who's trying to keep good things away from us? Not at all. This seems like a God who he thinks up things, he creates things, he just plops things down into our lap that are better and more enjoyable and more pleasurable than we could have ever imagined to, or even dreamed of to ask for, right? So if that's who God is, does it really make sense that God would be holding out on us with this whole tree of the knowledge of good and evil thing? Hasn't God shown in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 that his definition of good and evil are the right definition of good and evil? If they had any sense, they would have been so thankful for all of the blessings that God had given them that when they come to that test, when, when they feel confused, when, when they feel like, ah, this doesn't seem right to me, but God says it is, they would know God's worth trusting. Look at all of the wonderful things that he's given us. And it's the same with us too. If you practice thankfulness, this is the way to prepare for a test. If you're in a regular practice of practicing thankfulness, here's what's going to happen. Not only are you going to be a more positive person, there's a lot of stuff today about, you know, be grateful, you know, be thankful, uh, count your blessings. There's a lot of people even that aren't Christians that would say that's a good thing to do just for for your mood or for mental health or something like that. But there, there's two things that happen when we, as a disciple of Jesus, when we practice thankfulness to God for all of the good things that he's given us. Two things happen. First of all, it, it makes you a more pleasant person. It makes, it makes you enjoy life more because you're thinking about the good and not the bad. But the second thing that it does, it causes you to see who God is to see, look how good God is. Look how wise God is. God is the God who thinks up things to give me and bless me with that I would have never even imagined to ask for. And then what happens is, when, you, when you're overflowing with thankfulness because of all of the good things that God has given you, what happens is, when that test comes, when that moment of confusion comes, you give God the benefit of the doubt. After all, look how he's proven himself for so long to give you good thing after good thing after good thing after good thing. Isn't it possible that he has a good plan in this that we just can't understand? Isn't it possible that we're just wrong and God's just right? If you're regularly practicing thankfulness and not just being grateful in general, but being thankful to God who gives us everything and who allows everything that happens in our life to take place, then when you're in that moment of a test, 
you'll be able to remember that God is good. He has your best at heart. And so you're going to do what he says. So what does it look like for you to practice thankfulness in, in your life? What, what would it look like for you to make a regular practice of remembering the blessings that God has given to you and thanking him and allowing that to shape the way you see God? Lindsay and I, we've recently in our family, I shared this with you all a couple weeks ago, I think. We started doing this thing where we would do, every morning we'd get together and we'd sit down with, with us and the three girls and we just go around and say, hey, everybody share something that you're thankful for. And I know it's like the cheesiest kind of, oh, count your blessings type of thing. But, but it's, it's really good and it really works. We, we'd, we'd sit down and just say, hey, everybody go around, share one thing that you're thankful for. Just one thing that you're thankful for. And it's not necessarily something super deep or profound or super spiritual. A, a lot of times it'll be like, oh, I'm, I'm, thankful for, I'm thankful for our house. I'm thankful for music. I'm thankful for food. I'm thankful for mommy. That one gets used a lot more than I'm thankful for daddy. I don't know why. And we've made a practice of doing that. And you know what happens usually when we're doing that together? You know the big impact that has in the moment? It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. We never start like jumping up and down and dancing and throwing our hands up and saying, oh, God is so good or something like that. But you know what? What does happen is you start developing an attitude towards God where you realize, look how good God is to me. Look how good God is at giving me good things in my life. And then when you enter that test, when you're confused or when you're hurting or when you disagree with God, you say, God has proven himself to be this God who knows how to give good gifts to his children. Over and over and over again. I mean, it rained last week. We have a we have gas log fireplace in our in our living room. Do we get to huddle around and snuggle up and be close and have hot chocolate? God's the God who gives us stories. God's the God who gives us basketball. God's the God that lets us snuggle with each other. Stuff like that. Again, I'm speaking for as a, as a parent of toddlers. <laughs> Doesn't he know how to give good gifts to us? If he says this is what we should do, if he says this is the way it is, isn't it good? Lindsay was saying the other day that since we've been doing this as a family, she said, you know, we were driving down the road the other day. She's with the girls. I wasn't in the car. And she said, Ruby, my, my middle daughter, I think it was Ruby, Valerie, my oldest daughter, Valerie, it's raining outside. It was a few days ago. And Valerie's just like, I'm so thankful for the rain. I'm so thankful for the rain. And what's happening there? She's developing an attitude of God is a good God who gives us good things like the rain. And the more we do that, the more we see God for who he truly is, and the more we trust God in the times where we're confused or when we're hurting. And ultimately, we know all of God's blessings, what we were just celebrating here in communion, God is the God who gives us every single good thing that we could possibly imagine. And ultimately, we've done our best to try to ruin that with our sin. Adam and Eve, we're going to see next week, they do their absolute best to try to screw up God's blessings that he's given to them. But God is so good. God is so good 
that even when we throw out his blessings and ruin his blessings and spoil his blessings, he comes and dies for us and breaks his body and sheds his blood so that we could experience his blessings forever. With this type of a God, with this type of an author of your life, with this type of an owner of your life, imagine the masterpiece. Imagine the wonderful story that God wants to write in your life better than you could have ever imagined if you were to offer your life up to him not saying, God, here are my plans, but instead saying, God, here's my life as a blank canvas for God to do whatever he wanted with. Imagine the masterpiece that God would create in your life. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for everything that you've given us. Thank you most of all for your son. Thank you for redeeming us. God, I pray for myself and I pray for my brothers and sisters here. Would you help us to be more mindful of all the good things that you've given us? God, you're, you're good. You give us good things. I pray for my brothers and sisters here who might be struggling right now with wanting to define what's right and wrong, what's good and evil for themselves. God, would you show them how good you are? Would you remind them how good you are? And would you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you help them to trust in you, to obey you and follow you and be faithful in the midst of that test. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.